Thessalonians chapter 5, starting in verse 12 is where we'll be. Uh, we won't get all the way through this. It'll still be probably another two Sundays to finish this out. But I look forward to it. Let's go ahead and read the text, and then we'll go ahead and pray. And we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. Be at peace among yourselves. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all. See that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good, both for yourselves and for all. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. That's as far as we'll go today. Father, thank you for your word that's about to be preached. We have the privilege to open it, to, to learn from it, Father, to be led by your Holy Spirit in it, to be led into all truth. Thank you that it, it is the only standard of truth that there is. Father, I thank you for this word, and I thank you for bringing us into this place today. This Everybody's here by divine appointment from you. Or do you even plan this day before the foundations of the world that we would be sitting together in this place hearing from you? So if we have any new people here today, Father, I pray that you impress on their heart. They're not here by their own doing. They're here because you worked this out for them to be here, to hear from your word, to uh, encounter you, to hear from you that it might apply to their own lives, Father. Thank you that you uh, are that concerned about us, Father. Thank you for what you're going to do in us today. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. As we come really to the latter part of 1 Thessalonians, we see several exhortations that were given to the Thessalonian church. These same exhortations are really applicable for us. Uh, today who are part of the same church of Jesus Christ. So let us hear what the, the Spirit is saying to the Thessalonian church and, and work on doing the same things at Rathburn Bible Church. Amen? We want to keep in mind that the Thessalonian church had a tremendous testimony of growth. They were growing in their knowledge of the Word. They were growing in their love for one another. The testimony that they had as a church all through Macedonia was incredible. They were a small church with a, really a heavy impact on that region. And so we want to remember that they are an example to follow. If we went back to chapter 1 and looked really quick at verses 2 through 7, Paul saying to them, We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, your labor of love and patience of hope, in, in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the sight of God and Father, knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God, for our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance, as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction, with joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia who believe. So look at the testimony this church had. And yet they needed to be encouraged not to give up, uh, working on their own growth, working on their love for one another, working to stay at the task of walking in Christ. And the same for us. You know, uh, we can never have a good enough testimony. It can always be improved. We can always work harder. We can always work at loving one another better. There's things we can always do, amen? But don't ever think that because you're at Rathburn Bible Church, we've arrived. We haven't. All right? In that, we're just part of the puzzle. Uh, the body of Christ is bigger than this church. And so we just want to do our part in God's kingdom. 
But notice here in the passage this morning that Paul urges them to do three things in regard to their leaders. Now, it's a weird thing for me to preach this because I'm asking you to do this to me. It's weird, you know, and so please don't take it as a haughty thing. I'm only preaching it because it's here. If it wasn't in a word, I wouldn't preach it. But it's on the page, I have to preach it. I'm going to preach it. <laughs> Let the chips fall where they may. But he urges them to do three things in regard to the, the leaders of, of, uh, of the church here in Thessalonica, which also would apply to us. It says, recognize those who labor among you. Okay, Urge you, brethren. So it's, it's an urgent thing. Recognize those, uh, uh, those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake and be at peace among yourselves. So that first part, Paul says, recognize the, uh, those who labor among you. Christians are to recognize their leaders in their body. Those leaders are described three ways here. Notice this. Those who labor among you. Leaders are recognized not by their title, but by their service. So titles really mean nothing. I, I know you get to Ephesians chapter 4 and God lists titles. But really, if, if the leadership is doing their job, they're laboring to the people. They're serving the people. They're not being served. So they're recognized by their service. A, a title's fine, but only if the title describes what the person really is before God and man. So if I'm a pastor, am I pastoring? Am I shepherding? Yeah, the answer is yes, I think I am. Can I always be better? Absolutely. Can anybody in leadership do better? Probably. But you wouldn't admonish me because I have a title or a degree. You would admonish me because I love you and I serve you. You see the difference? There's a lot of pastors in pulpits that are admonished because they write books. They bring in revenue. They whatever. But they're admonished because they serve. Also, and they're over you in the Lord. Look what it says this. Now that doesn't mean that a guy in my position is greater than you in the Lord. Just I have a position in ministry where God's going to look at this church and say, you, you, you were the rudder for this ministry. You're the one I will hold accountable. Because leaders are recognized as being over the congregation in the sense of ruling and providing headship as a shepherd is over the sheep. This describes really a clear and legitimate order of authority. If you look at the next part and admonish you, part of a leader's job is to be admonished, or part of the congregation's job. I better read that right. Who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. My job is to what? Admonish you. Okay, so what, what's the word? It's to instruct or to warn you. Okay, not to make you feel good. Although if it requires that, that would be the role to do. But it is to warn you, to instruct you, to teach you. And that would be what that meant. Because they're recognized as those who not just uh, admonish a congregation, but one-on-one. -on -one. To caution or to reprove gently would be another way to say it. To warn. And your job is to esteem them highly. Okay, Christians are to esteem their leaders and to esteem them not just highly, but very highly in what? Look what it says here, in love. So your job is to love the leadership that God puts over you in a body. And they should do this for what? Look at what it says here. 
for their work's sake. So they don't deserve esteem. I don't deserve esteem. The elders don't deserve esteem. The, the, our deacons don't deserve esteem because of their title or because of their personality, but because of their labor on behalf of God's people. That's why you would esteem them highly, because who they're working for. It's just like you'd say, why do you esteem the president of the United States or Congress? It's, a posi- it's, it's not who they are, it's who they represent. or supposed, It's supposed to be that way, right? I know. For, it's supposed to be that way. Just like in a church body, it's supposed to, this this should come easily for a body. So Christian ministers who preach the whole truth and labor in the word and in doctrine are entitled to more than just respect. The word commands them to be esteemed very highly, and that's to be done because you love them. Okay? Now, let me just say, and I'm not saying it because of me, but wherever you go, wherever God takes you, if you have a pastor and leadership that teaches and adheres to the doctrines of Scripture and the Word of God, that's, that, that person, that man, is to be esteemed. They say, well, he just says man, because women shouldn't be pastors. And that's not a, a woman has a role. I'm not, I'm not degrading at all. I'm just going with what Scripture says. If a Christian can't esteem and love their pastor or love, esteem and love their elders or esteem and love their deacons, they should either get on their knees and ask the Holy Spirit to change their heart or go somewhere else and put themselves under a pastor and a leadership they can esteem and love. Your role here at Rathen Bible Church is to, this is weird, to love me. Now, I am lovable. (laughs) Now, why am I saying that? Because it's here. But also, you know, why do we do these things? Go to Hebrews 13 really quick. That's not in in your lineup here. But it says in verse 17, it says, Obey those who rule over you and be submissive. Now, I'm I'm hoping that the people that rule over you are being led by the Holy Spirit and led by God. Because that makes it a lot easier to submit to God, doesn't it? If the leadership is submitted to God, doesn't it make it easier to submit to them? Listen, obey those who rule over you and be submissive for they watch out for your souls as those who must give an account. Now listen, I, so my job as a pastor is to look out for your soul. Well, you don't know how much I pray about that, that I don't say something or teach something that is wrong, that I pour my hours and hours and hours into study of the scripture so that I have it right for you. I gain from my own, I gain knowledge from my, that study, but I do it for the Lord and I do it for you because I have to give an account. But notice your part here too. Let them do so with joy and not with grief for that would be unprofitable for you. So your job is to lift me up as one who rules, I guess, or one who is, you know, who labors among you, one who is over you in the Lord and admonishes you, you're supposed to lift me up so I can lift you up. It's kind of a give and take thing. But really, we're doing it for who? Now, I'm not telling you that because I decided, well, you know what, I need to get up at the pulpit and tell them to love me. I'm telling you because that's where we are in the text. And we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. 
be at peace among yourselves. So here, with a, this simple command, Paul said Christians should simply put away divisions, put away strife in the church, which we talked about earlier in the text. That's a great way to esteem and love the leadership of the church if you quit fighting, quit being divided, quit, quit acting like mere children, the scripture would say. So what does he mean when he sits there and he says, he says, or the scripture says, be at peace among yourselves. Part of that is, that helps those who are leading, that helps those who have to give an account if the church is working, esteeming, and loving one another. Amen? Now, notice Paul exhorts them in how to deal with difficult people. Nobody here is difficult. But we get to 14. Now, I exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, or actually, idle. That would be another word for unruly there. Insubordinate or idle. Warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all. See that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good, both for yourselves and for all. So here, here's this part of it. To exhort is to tell someone what they must do, but without sharpness or without any kind of critical spirit. Can we do that? Can we exhort one another without being critical? Can we exhort one another without any kind of sharpness in our voice towards them? To do it with a loving heart? It is not rebuke or condemnation, but neither is it merely a suggestion or advice when it says that. So it is urgent and it's serious, but it's associated with comfort, that word. I want to do it in a gentle way. Warn those who are unruly. Comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all. So they were, the Thessalonians, Paul said, they're to minister in a variety of ways. Depending on the state of the person they're dealing with, Paul is telling the Thessalonian believers to minister to them. The un, if they're unruly, minister this way. If they are, warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all. So if someone is unruly, the duty of the Christian is to warn them. Others need comfort. Others need to be upheld. Some need encouragement. Really, if you look at the text we're in, the unruly are those who are out of order. The word is using a military word here that describes the soldier that breaks ranks and marches out of step. That's an unruly person. So they're not doing what the church is supposed to do. They're not functioning as a team. They're, they're doing their own thing. That's an unruly person. The faint-hearted are those who by nature or experience tend to be timid or they lack courage. And so you want to encourage them. There's a lot of people maybe at Rathner Bible Church that are shy, kind of. They need to be encouraged a little bit, all right? All right it's our job, not just as, as leadership, but as a church to come behind them and say, you can do this. You can walk this way. You can finish well. Now, I think back in the military days in boot camp, we couldn't graduate unless the whole class got graduated at the same time. And anybody who's in any kind of military remembers that because you didn't, you, you, it was hard at first because everybody's competing with one another. The military has a great way of making your pride go away. Right? And so, well, you realize really quickly, wait, hey, little... Uh, whatever Joe or whoever it is over here, he's not doing well, but I don't get to go home until he does well. <laughs> Guess what? He starts doing very well. If he can't get over the obstacle curse wall, he gets helped. Okay, so sometimes people need encouragement, and that's the same in, in Christianity. We, some people just, they got to be, you can do this. Others need comfort. Others need you know, to be, the, the, some are, need comfort in a sense of assisting strength, much like those that we're reading here, but they, the weak are the, must be upheld and assisted with, with an eye to building their own strength instead of perpetuating their weakness. So they're always kind of down on themselves. They always say, I can't do this. 
Yeah, you can. And so we're supposed to encourage one another. If you go back to chapter 4, verses 2 through 8, you'll see that there. You can read it again in your, in your own time. But we need to be patient with everybody. This is what Paul says. Be patient with all. See that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good both for yourselves and for all. Is, is that what we're doing at Rathman Bible Church? It's because true Christianity is shown by its ability to love and it's shown by its ability to help difficult people. Now, how does the world know that we're his disciples? Because we what? Love one another. It's not because we do all these great things. It's because we love one another. We help people. We don't look for only perfect people to minister to and to minister with. That shouldn't be happening. The Christian never should seek revenge or vengeance. Instead, let God take up their cause is what should happen. And we must have a forgiving heart towards others. Not only is it good for them, but it's good for us. See, this, this means a lot here when it says, see that no one renders evil for evil and to anyone, but always pursue what is good both for yourselves and for all. That's what the church should be doing. You know, a principle really shown by the Lord himself. If we go back here to Matthew chapter 5, and starting in verse 43, Matthew 5, 43, let's read down to verse 48. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor as your, and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. And Why? that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? If you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so? Therefore, you shall be perfect just as the Father in heaven is perfect. What's he mean by that? You do what I do. I love everybody. You know, think about that for a minute. Instead, You know, we have to have a forgiving heart towards others, not just the good, not just treat people who treat them good, who are good to us, but even the wicked should be treated good by us. So why? So that they would see Jesus Christ in us. Paul showed this, Romans chapter 12. Go to Romans 12, starting in verse 14. Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. So you see how we minister different types of people, the faint-hearted, the strong, the weak. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with what? The humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Repay no evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Now, just think about that for a minute. As long as it depends on you. A fight only works if two people are involved. Christians should pull himself out of that argument, that strife, right away. It takes the fuel away from a fight. If it's possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, what are we supposed to do? Feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing you will heap coals of fire on his head. Now, we don't do that. That's the goal. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That's, that's how you deal with difficult people sometimes. And even Peter, in his epistle, addressed this. Go to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. 1 Peter 3, 9. And what, is, what does that say? It says, let me back up to verse 8. Finally, all of you be of one mind. Here we go again. Having compassion for one another. Love as brothers. Be tender-hearted. Be courteous. 
Or your Bible might say, be humble. Not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing. Knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. I'm going to give you an assignment that I gave to the ambassador group this week. Okay, we gave to the ambassador group. Because that's where we are in First Peter and in our ambassadors. I want you to think of four times that you can bless somebody this week. Why? Because you were called to blessing people. Okay? Not to complain about them. You figured out between you and God, but I'd love to hear reports next week of how you bless somebody. That's what you're called to do. Matter of fact, that's your assignment. We should give, I'll give, remind me, I'll give room for testimony next week of how you bless. And those who don't bless, <laughs> that'll be marked down in the church records. I'm just kidding. But, you know, we're to follow, pursue that which is good. That's what the text is telling us. Such as things that make for peace. Reminds me of Romans chapter 14, verse 19. Actually, that's what it says. So, Romans 14, 19. Paul says this. Therefore, let us pursue. That word pursue, hunt down, chase after. Aggressively go after. Let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which one may, what? Edify one another. Look at what we're supposed to do as a church. Edify one another. Pursue after things like righteousness and godliness and faith and love and patience and meekness. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy 6. But you, O man of God... Flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold of eternal life to which you all were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. We're to pursue after holiness. That's the, that's the word that the Lord keeps bringing to my attention in 2023. And I, I don't know why, but I, I seem to be keyed in on that quite a bit. Hebrews chapter 12, if you go there, go to verse 14. What does it say there? Pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Now think about that for a minute. Now our text, our text says... Comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all. See that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good both for yourselves and for all. These are outward exhortations. Pursue things such as that are honorable, that, that bring honor. Uh, look at Romans 12, 17. You see, this is ways we can minister to one another. This is a, this is a strong church that does this. Romans twelve seventeen says, Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. But now there's some inward exhortation. If you go back to our text here, it says, Rejoice always. See, there's from verses 12... 14, how to exhort those outside or outward exhortation. Now let's look at some inward exhortation. Rejoice always. Okay, to pray without ceasing. To give thanks in everything. These are the three things that God wants us to do in our own Christian walk. Rejoice always. That, I looked that up. That means to feel joy or have great delight in something. Have great delight in something. You have great delight this morning? For what? Tell me. What do you have great delight for this morning? 
We have a church, what? Well, praise the Lord for that, right? And in context, that's, that's amen. What else? What gives you great delight? The beauty of the Lord. Describe beauty. So his attributes, very good. Okay, very good. What, what, what are you delighting in? Fellowship. Fellowship. What, are you, what else? The beautiful weather, yeah, that's good. What else? Worship, what else? His word, what else? What gives you, right now, what, what is burning in your soul that you delight in? His faithfulness. We need rejoice. That means to have joy. How often? Always. Now, come on. You're not rejoicing always. You're not. Are you? That's a command. In joy, there's great strength. Amen? I mean, go to Nehemiah. Everybody knows where Nehemiah is at. It is before Psalms. Let's go to Nehemiah 8. Verses 9 and 10, or 9 through 10. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn nor weep. For all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet, and send portions to those for whom nothing is prepared, for this day is holy to our Lord. Do not sorrow, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And when we have joy in what we believe, we abound in hope. You know, rejoice always. Just, just look at Romans 15. Go to Romans 15, and starting in verse 10. You know, just think about rejoicing here. And again, he says, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Laud him, all you peoples. And again, Isaiah says, There shall be a root of Jesse, and he who shall rise to reign over the Gentiles, in him the Gentiles shall hope. Folks, listen, rejoice today because he decided to save the Gentiles. What are you? (laughs) Saved Gentile. Now, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, when we have joy in what we believe, we will abound in hope. And when we are joyful, it helps those around us to be joyful. The worst thing you want around you is some downtrodden Christian. Now, you want them around you so you can uplift them for sure. But listen, what you want around you is Christians that are joyful. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, look at verse 3. 2 Corinthians 2, 3. Isn't it good to have somebody happy around you? <laughs> yeah. Okay, and I wrote this very thing to you lest when I come I should have sorrow over those from whom I ought to have joy having confidence in you all that my joy is the joy of you all. Now, to be joyful, which also means to be merry, is crucial to remaining strong ourselves and being a source of strength for other people. You need the person next to you to be a person of rejoicing, somebody who has joy or great delight in something. You need that person to be that way who's next to you. Now, how do we rejoice always? How do I do that? We'll go to Philippians 4.4. Because there's times I don't want to rejoice. Amen? Or there's times I want to rejoice, but I don't rejoice. Amen? What would cause me to want to do this always? says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. That's Philippians 4.4. Rejoice in who? In your circumstances? No. In who? Now, what delights you in him this morning? Why would you want to rejoice in the Lord this morning? What did he do for you? He saved you. Okay, we know that. What else? Come on, tell me. 
He provides for you. He what? He gave you life. He's always with you. What else? He got you out of bed this morning. All right. Saved your family. Protects you, I heard. He's our bridegroom. See, these things I delight in. He, I can rejoice in, but I rejoice in him. I don't rejoice in myself. I don't, there's nothing to rejoice in. I rejoice in the Lord always. You know, his salvation is the source of much joy for me. Now, I go back to Psalm 21. There was a day, even when I thought I was happy, but I wasn't happy. That's what's scary to me about the world who doesn't know him as their savior. They think their life is okay. They think I'm happy. Listen, life didn't make sense till I found Jesus. I was not happy till I met the Lord. There is nothing in my life before Jesus Christ that would cause me to rejoice at all. Looking back on it, I should have been scared to death. But nobody told me that the wrath of God was over me. You know, and that's the position of a person who doesn't know Christ. There's nothing to rejoice in in your life if you don't have Jesus. Because what you have is judgment and death waiting for you. Psalm, what did I say? Psalm 21? Helps if I get to the book of Psalms. But Psalm 21, and you're probably already there. Verse 1. The king shall have joy in your strength, O Lord. And in your salvation, how greatly shall he rejoice. Now, this, of course, is David writing this psalm. Where does David say he has strength? He has strength. He has joy in the strength of the Lord. But he has joy in his salvation. Now, why would I be happy? Why would I be joyful? Why would I even rejoice? Because he saved me. What? What's the reason for that? I get to live. There's no condemnation. There's no eternal consequence. There is a place called hell which we will not visit or go to because we have Christ. He's a source. He, even his mercy is a source of great joy. Look at Psalm 31. Psalm 31 verse 7. How many got up this morning and said, and just started praising God because he renewed his mercy for you last night or this morning? But we don't think about that, do we? But that's, that should be a time of great, great rejoicing. Psalm 31, verse 7. I will be glad and rejoice in what? Your mercy. Folks, if the Christian has anything to rejoice in, it's the fact that God is merciful to you. For you have considered my trouble, you have known my soul and adversities, and have not shut me up into the hand of the enemy. You have set my feet in a wide place. You've saved me. By his mercy, he saved us. And I can rejoice in the Lord in that. And to rejoice in the Lord, we need to read the word of God. We need to feed on the word of God on a daily basis. Okay? I have to be in the word to rejoice in him. I see and read what he's done for me over and over. Even if I have to read it over and over and over and over for 50 years. Every time I pick it up, it's a new thing. Well, then I'm supposed to pray without ceasing. How do I do that? This conversation came up in our men's breakfast study this last week. How, how, how do I do that? Just constantly talking to him. I found out, and everybody has different styles and different ways they do it, but I find out if, if I think, well, in the evenings I'm going to pray, with, I'm going to set some time aside and pray with the Lord, or in the morning, that never comes. Life happens. So if I schedule a place to go, and that's, if you can do that, that's a good thing. But I found for me, and I only speak for me, pray without ceasing is like, I'm walking here and I'm talking with him like he's right next to me. I'm reading the word and I might come across something that says, I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep. I might say, you know what, Lord? I'm a little ignorant in that area. I'll, I'll read the scriptures and I'll pray 
as I'm reading. It helps me to pr- connect with him. He's talking to me in scriptures. I reply back through prayer. Help me to understand that. What are you saying here, Lord? What, how should I be? I'm, I'm trying to do that, Lord. And so I find it easier if I do it that way. Or I talk to him as I'm walking down the street. Now people think, this guy's crazy. You know, I remember the first time I heard one of those, you got your ear thing and you got your phone. Remember when those came out? And some guys walking along say, yeah, hey, I'll talk to you later, you know. And, and you think, who's he talking to? Well, I do that without the ear thing. And people say, oh, this, this, guy, this guy is nuts. Who's he talking to? And then you tell them you're talking to God. They go, now you're really crazy. You're talking to a God you can't see. Oh, I see him. He's everywhere. Oh, never mind. So in prayer, we're able to come to our, to our Father and to receive his mercy and, and grace and help in the time of need. That's what it says in Hebrews 4, 14 to 16. And we, we, we can receive his peace. Go to Philippians chapter 4. Back to Philippians 4 again. 6 and 7 this time. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. There's different kinds of prayer there. I know you see that. Prayer, the general conversation with the Lord. Supplication is what I'm going to pray for you. Okay, I'm going to make supplication for somebody else. Maybe I'm walking and talking with the Lord, and my prayer is never, it's not about me this time. It's about somebody else in the congregation. With thanksgiving. Says our prayer needs to be wrapped with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. Thank you, thank you, just thanking God. To, you know, Lord, thank you that I can walk and uh, and talk with you. Thank you, thank you that you hear my prayers. Thank you that you're ready to answer this, Lord. I, I look at prayer like that. If the Lord put it on my heart to pray, He wants to give an answer. So if He has me praying for you specifically in this congregation, it's for a purpose. God's is not just generic prayer. I think he's specific in his prayer. I put him on your mind, her on your mind, pray for them. I know what I'm going to do, but you need to lift them to prayer. And so we pray without ceasing. Great men and women of God made it a habit to find some time each day to be alone with God and in prayer. And we would do well to follow their examples, you know. And just how many have a prayer time worked out with God daily? How many? Should be a lot more than that. Right? Now, let's go back. Okay, you didn't pass the test. So we got to go back to the review. I will never love you enough like I should if I don't pray for you. And you will never love each other enough as a body if you don't pray for them. Nothing puts a burden on your heart than to have a name with that burden. And what causes you to fall in love together as a church is prayer for one another. You have to, it's not about visiting this person, visiting that person. That's all good. But if it's not couched in prayer, prayer is where we meet the Lord. Prayer on our knees, praying for our own congregation. This is really the, the... when he's talking about pray without ceasing, when he's talking um, rejoice always, he's talking about their own body here. Yeah, it can extend past the four walls of this church into the community and the other churches, but what good is that if we're not doing it? Amen? We have to do this. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing. And just ask yourselves, when was the last time I prayed not... And praise God for our prayer chain. But do you have a prayer chain for the church if it wasn't emailed to you? Can you pray for the people in this church? Do you have a directory? How many people go through that directory and say, I'm going to pray for that person today? Don't wait for the prayer chain. And those ladies do a great job with that. But don't wait for that. Be praying without what? Without ceasing. And in everything. Now, are you doing that? Oh, yes, pastor, in everything I give thanks to God. No, you don't. 
So being unthankful is, by the way, very displeasing to God because unthankfulness is really a sign of being... Unthankfulness is a sign of the times we're in, perilous times. 2 Timothy, go back to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Here's where most are today. But know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. Do you think we're there? For men will be lovers of themselves. Are we there? Lovers of money. Are we there? Boasters. Proud, are we there? Look at this. Blasphemers. Disobedient to parents. Okay, we're getting to the one I'm after. Unthankful. Are we in a culture that's unthankful? Unholy? Unloving? Unforgiving? Or irreconcilable? Would be another word for that. Slanders, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And look what it says. Having a form of godliness. Okay? What does that mean? They look like they are Christians. They talk like they're Christians. But they're not Christians. They have a form of godliness, but they deny its power. They deny Christ. They deny the resurrection. They deny everything that has to do with him. Oh, I'm a Christian, but you know what? I love Jesus, but I hate that Bible. It doesn't work. Oh, I love God, but I'll have nothing to do with Jesus. It doesn't work. I don't believe that Jesus came out of the grave. It doesn't work. They have a form of godliness, but not his power. And from such people, turn away. So we're to give thanks. Unthankfulness is a sign of, of the wicked times we're in. It, it is included among the reasons for bringing wrath upon man. If you remember back in Romans chapter 1, which if you were to ask me, Pastor, what do you think of the culture we're in? I think we're in Romans 1. I think God has turned us over to a debased mind as a nation. And I think the only way out of this is repentance. But when we've been turned over, you just look at the culture. When you see the things that are listed in Romans 1 as happening in the culture, such as same-sex marriage, such as all these different things, that's not, that's a culture that's already turned its back on God. And those things are a result of judgment according to the text. But if you look at Romans here, chapter 1, look at verses 18 to 21. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness, because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are, that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were what? Thankful. But became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. So what are you thankful for? It says, in everything, give thanks. Are you thankful for what the Father's done for you? If you look at the book of Colossians, chapter 1. Let's go there. Colossians 1, verses 12, and four, 12 to 14. It says, give thanks to the Father who has qualified, qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. Boy, are you thankful for that? Let me look. He has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed or, or transferred us, conveyed us into the kingdom of his son or the son of his love in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Are you thankful for that? That he took you out of the kingdom of darkness faster than you could blink and put you into the kingdom of light of his son of who he loves. Can you, 
Think about that for a minute. I have everything in the world to be thankful for. In everything, give thanks to God. Thankful, exceedingly glad, that word means. In even when I'm persecuted for the gospel, I give thanks for that. Even when there's a trial that I have to go, be glad, be happy, be thankful that you're in that trial. And so we're to pray without ceasing. We are to learn to be thankful without ceasing. And here's the thing. Lord, we need your help. I need your help. I need your help to do this, Lord, because without you, there's no way I can rejoice always. There's nothing to rejoice in outside of Jesus Christ and what he has given us. This world gives me nothing to rejoice in and everything I'm supposed to pray without ceasing. Lord, help me to have a strong prayer life. Help me to have that type of fellowship with you where that I'm constantly talking, not at you, God, but to you. And in everything, give thanks. Lord, I know that's your will in Christ Jesus for me. Lord, help me to be thankful even in things that I don't want to thank you for. Help us, Lord. And with him we can do this. Father, thank you for your word this morning. And Lord, I just pray that these things would just be happening in our life in in an abundant way, Father. Lord, as these folks are going to go out this week and be a blessing for somebody else. Lord, I look forward to the testimony of how they got to do that. Lord, we're called to blessing people. Help us to do that, Father. Help us to love our brethren. Help us, Lord, to recognize those who labor amongst us, Lord, and to, and to help us to admonish the people, Father, the body, Help us to esteem those who labor, Lord. Esteem them highly and help us to love them. Help us to be at peace amongst the brethren, Father. Lord, help us to comfort the faint-hearted. Help us to uphold the weak. Lord, help us to be patient. Lord, just like the church in Thessalonica started out well, but Paul challenged them challenges them to continue to grow in these areas. Father, help us in these areas, in the time we're in, Father God, that people could come through these doors and be loved, and people could come through these doors and know that the people that are here love one another. Lord, help us to be a light and a testimony for you in Rathdrum, Idaho, Father, in Jesus' name, amen.